This morning, our Old Testament passage is coming from 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 15. And I invite everyone to follow along on our screens as I read it here from the Word of God. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He had raised that little lamb, and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guests. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king of Israel and you saved and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdom of Israel and Judah. And if that were not enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stole his wife. For this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Because of what you have done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes, and he will go to bed with them in public view. You did it secretly, but I'll make this happen to you openly in the sight of all of Israel. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, Yes, but the Lord has forgiven you, and you will not die for this sin. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord by doing this, your child will die. And after Nathan returned to his home, the Lord sent a deadly illness to the child of David and Uriah's wife. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is a heavy scripture passage, y'all. But it sets the tone for where we are in the season of Lent. Right here in this chapter... In 2 Samuel, we see a major turning point in David's life, especially with his relationship with the Lord. This is the first major time where he has disappointed God. He has disappointed the God, the man after God's own heart. How did we get here? How did David get here? How did he get to this point where we are with this heavy, heavy passage? You see, you have to look back in the chapter before it, the 11th chapter of 2 Samuel. You see, when David became king of Israel, he inherited Saul's palace and Saul's wives and everything that Saul has. This was very typical for kings in the back of those days. And David had many women to choose from. But he went after the woman that he could not have. See, in the 11th chapter, he went after a woman who was already married to a man, to a man who was in his army, who served in his army. And this is where David got into trouble. You see, David one day was at his palace walking along the roof, 
And there he noticed a beautiful woman from afar. And he got curious. So he sent out his messengers to find out who this woman was. And they reported back and said, she's Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, the Hittite. He said, go get her and bring her to me. And they brought her to his palace. And together they conceived a child. Mistake number one. It was later when Bathsheba realized that she was pregnant, she sent a message to David saying, I am pregnant. It's your baby. So we can begin to understand the human side of David that he probably got a little nervous at this point because she was still married to Uriah, a man in his army. So he sent out his messengers to go get Uriah and bring him to the palace. David was going to seem to do a little trick here. He was going to give Uriah permission from serving in battle to go home. He was going to wine and dine Uriah and send him home with hopes that it can believe that he maybe conceived a child with his wife. And that this baby that Bathsheba was carrying would be Uriah's, not David's. But this plan did not go well. As you read in the 11th chapter, Uriah seemed to be a man of honor. He said to his king, no, I cannot go home full of food and wine and be with my wife while my men and my generals are out in the field sleeping in tents, fighting the enemy. I cannot do that. I must be with them until the job is done. And so David thought of another plan. He sent a letter to his general Joab and said, take Uriah and your army to the enemy. Take your army all the way to the enemy's gates to the city wall, to the most dangerous place you can put them and put Uriah right there in the center fighting then order your man to pull back leaving him there. David was going to have Uriah killed. Mistake number two. And so Joab as a good general did this. He took his army to the gates and the Ammonites the city walls where it's the most dangerous, where the archers can shoot down and pick out any man they could. And the army pulled back and left Uriah there to die. Joab sent a messenger to go see King David and to tell him the news that the army did not succeed and Uriah was dead. Now the messenger here was nervous. He didn't know the plan. And really Joab didn't know what was really going on either. He didn't know the full story. Only Bathsheba and David really knew what was all going on. And David was the only one that had all the pieces of the puzzle. The messenger was scared and found David in the palace to give him the report of the unsuccessful attempt and the death of many men, including Uriah. And David just shrugs it off. He just says, tell Joab not to be discouraged. The sword devours this one today. And then... Tomorrow, another. Fight harder next time and conquer the city. Kind of like, huh, brushed it off. Then Bathsheba finds out that her husband has passed away. And in that tradition, there's a period of mourning that family goes into. And she went into the period of mourning. And after the period of mourning, David sent for Bathsheba to come to his palace and become his wife. And that is what happened. And you see, and that's where we are in today's passage in Scripture. Now, many of y'all know before I became 
uh, a minister, pastor here at St. Matthew's, working with the youth, and now being an associate pastor, I worked in the school systems. I was a teacher and a coach, and it was a lot of fun. A lot of it's a fun job, but there are some challenges. As many of y'all are educators and coach and been in those positions before, there's a lot of challenges. And I had one challenge in my early classroom by the name of Daniel. Daniel was the student who was the football player, the athlete that was real good on the field and knew it, real popular, and can disturb class like the best of any of them. And so in my class, he thought it would be fun to just ignore the teacher and disturb the class. But I'm not the type of person that's going to let you get away with that. I stayed on his case. All semester long in the fall, I was on his case. Other teachers were giving up. They just let him do whatever. But I wasn't. One day, he got real, real mad at me. He said, you hate me, don't you? You really hate me. I said, Daniel, no. I don't hate you. I don't get paid more money to hate my students or my athletes. Okay? I get paid the same. I like you. He said, I don't get it. Why are you on my case? Why are you making me stay at break and calling my parents and on and on and on? And I said, Daniel, in an odd way, you should be thankful. Because I care about you so I can see that you can do better. You have great potential, and I'm not giving up on you. I said, you know when you need to be concerned is when you act out in class and you do the things you do, and I say nothing. That means I've given up on you. So which position would you rather be in? Yes, sir. Walked on. And that, I think, clicked with them. That those people who got on to them did it out of love. They did it because they cared. It's those that don't is what you need to be really concerned and when you need to really be concerned. So in this story here, when you think of David, a man after God's own heart breaks Two of the Ten Commandments, that's a pretty big deal. Adultery and murder, it seems to have no remorse about it. Don't you think that our God that loves him is going to do something about it? It's going to bring something to his attention? And this is where I really enjoy Scripture and seeing the little things in Scripture. You know, in the 11th chapter that I was summarizing of what happened and laying the foundation of where we are today... When you read it, you'll read that David sends people a lot in the 11th chapter. He sends his messengers. He sends uh, Uriah and Joab. He sends people because he's king. He can send people. Tell them to go do things. Because he's king. Well, here, the first verse of this 12th chapter, it says here, So the Lord sent Nathan, the prophet, to tell David the story. Now the king... Israel is having someone sent to him by our eternal king. David does not know this, but Nathan the prophet is about to turn the tables on him and put him in a different position that he's not used to. The king of our world is coming after him with a message through the prophet. And I thought that was real neat on what God does here. So God sends Nathan to tell a parable of a rich man taking advantage of a poor man. The rich man, as we hear in this parable, has many animals. That he could use any of his animals for slaughter for this poor man as his guest. But what does he do? He takes the poor man's lamb, the one that he has cared for, and slaughters it. And when David hears this parable, you see him get angry and say, As long as the Lord lives, this rich man will have to pay the price for this 
crime multiplied by four. But then you hear some of the most powerful words in Scripture that Nathan tells David. He says, David, you are that man. See, David had all the pieces. He knew the whole story of sending Uriah to his death and Bathsheba. He knew all of that. And so did God. And God sent his prophet Nathan to confront David of his sin. Right then and there, God used Nathan as a mirror. As a mirror for David to look at himself, to see who he truly was in that moment. What he has done wrong. And in our lives, God uses mirrors all the time. You know, when you get up in the morning, I'd say the majority of everybody in here, before they leave their house for the day, will look at a mirror. Whether it's to fix yourself for whatever you got going on that day, or to look at yourself and be like, eh, good enough. Good enough. I'll head out. But mirrors in our lives serve very important purposes. Whether it's the one that you look at in your bathroom or your closet to make sure everything is just in place. Or where you need to fix this or where you need to fix that. It gives you a time to look at yourself. To look at yourself. And make a decision of whether to fix something or not. But then more metaphorically, God can send people in our lives to serve as mirrors. Or have events serve in our lives as mirrors of our spiritual life and our walk with God. And to see where we are. To call out where we have messed up. To see where we can make corrections. And when we look at the mirror noticing things that need to be fixed. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be okay. That that sin's wiped away. It still happened. It still has consequences. It's what you do after that sin. It's what matters. You see, Nathan tells David that, hey, your family is still going to be plagued by the sword. The baby that you conceive of Bathsheba is going to die. Your own wives are going to be taken over by another man, and all of Israel will know it. And as you continue to read in 2 Samuel, all that happens is a consequence of his sin. But what's important is that David acknowledged that he was sinful and that he still worshipped his God and still had favor shown upon him after that. After the first child that he had with Sheba died, what did he do? He went to the temple. He went and he worshipped God afterwards. He went and worshipped God. So the next baby that he had with Bathsheba became King Solomon, who ruled over Israel, which the human lineage of Jesus comes from all of that. God still made something good come out of something bad in that situation. And does God do this for personal enjoyment? I, I don't think so. It's like what Sammy said in his children's moment. And as parents in this room, we don't like getting on to our children. It's not necessarily fun, okay? But it's one of the jobs as parents or of guardian if you're taking care of somebody else. But it's a job that has to be done because you love that individual. You know they can do right and they become something wonderful. So you're going to pour into them. And that's why God, people in Scripture and throughout time has connected God as like a parent. Because it's probably one of the best metaphors you can use of how God loves us. That at times God's going to show us where we've messed up. But he doesn't do it because he enjoys it. It's because he loves us. He loves us so that he pursues us so that we can continue to see 
our sinful nature and repent from that and turn from that and become who we're supposed to be. God is in the restoration business. You know, you can, many of y'all have probably refinished a piece of furniture. And some of y'all probably thought you're crazy if you're getting this old ratty desk at a garage sale or whatever it is. But you're like, no, that's solid wood. There's something there I can make beautiful out of this. And that's what God does to us. That's what God does to us all the time when he sends those people and those events and things in our lives that make us reflect to see where we may have turned from him and how we can get back on track in serving him. God will always pursue us. We see that in scripture and see that culminate into the gospels where he came and sent Jesus Christ to come live with us. He didn't give up on us. He came down to here to show us how to live, to die for our sins. Paid the ultimate price. Jesus was perfect. He didn't deserve to die. But it happened for us. It happened for us that we have a way to repent and turn to him. And Ash Wednesday services, a lot of times when you get the ash cross on your forehead, it's either ashes to ashes, dust to dust, remind us of our mortality, or you also hear repent and believe in the gospel. And right here, repent and believe in the gospel is this big message that we have to hold on to, especially in this time of Lent, as we reflect upon our lives and upon how the gospel impacts our lives, how God is always pursuing us, no matter how bad or how messed up we are. Read the stories in the Bible. My life is not as exciting as this, okay? But I know he pursues me and my mistakes, as he pursues all of us in our mistakes, so that we can grow and grow and be his beautiful masterpiece for the whole world to see, just like the way he intended us to be. So while the season of Lent can be a time of reflection, hearing hard stories, it can be sad for us, it can be hard for us, but it's a needed thing for us, and it's a gift from God that we can do this and repent and turn because he loves us so much. So we can work on being that beautiful masterpiece. He knows that we are. You see, when we look in those mirrors and sometimes we see a big old mess, God sees something totally different. He sees what we, what we are, which is beauty, beauty in his eyes. So in this season here, in this time as we reflect as we hopefully draw closer to God, as we think about the stories in the Bible and how God has used people and things to turn people around, may we see how that is for our lives, what that means for us in our context and the people we see in the lives that we lead. Because y'all, we're a lot more beautiful than what we see in the mirror. We always have the opportunity through Jesus Christ to repent and believe in the gospel. And that is my challenge for all of us this season of Lent that we can do that and see the joy and the glory of what God really is and how much he truly, truly loves us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are just so thankful for stories like this that we get to read in the Bible. Tough passages, tough situations. But in all of that, Lord, we get to see that you are God, that you constantly pursue us, that you love us so that you give us opportunities to repent and believe in the gospel and become the beautiful creation you intended us to be. So thank you for a God, for being a God that's forever present in our lives, that loves us so, and that never gives up. 
We ask all of this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.